1: We're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Fleet Matthews Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in and listening wherever you are around the world and in the world. Dr. Jacqueline Battalore is back with me. She is an attorney and professor of sociology and criminal justice at St. Xavier University in Chicago. She is an anti-racist writer, educator, and trainer who is also the author of the amazing book, Birth of a White Nation, The Invention of White People and Its Relevance Today. Welcome back, Doc.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Philippe. Always an honor to be with you.
1: Thank you. Well, today we're going to be talking about the word that I, uh, I always get wrong and can't pronounce correctly, anti Um I've heard this word from you. I learned this word from you. I learned this term from you uh, in, in many of our uh, live video shows, uh, as well as, of course, uh, devouring your book and your work and your writings. And I said, you know, maybe we should do a show on just talking about that. And so here we are. To talk about anti-miscegenation, what is anti-miscegenation, uh, and then let's get deeper into, you know, how how this word, this term, has shaped America as we know it today.
2: Certainly. Well, anti-miscegenation um, references a body of law, and these were laws that made it illegal. They were passed on a state-by-state basis um, uh, in the United States, mm-hmm. and they in their essence, made it illegal for white people to marry various versions of non-white people. Every anti-miscegenation law ever passed in this country uh, prohibited a white person from marrying a person of African descent, every one of them. But some of them also prohibited a white person from marrying a variety of of racialized others, um, if I can refer to folks in that way. Of, mm-hmm. Like tribal people, American Indians, um, Chinese, and then the language became Mongoloid and Pacific Islander. So it depends on on the numbers of racialized others within a particular state.
1: Okay. If there were so...
2: significant, if there were significant numbers, then they would get added to the anti-miscegenation law, the law that made it illegal for white people to marry, a, you know, in, generally speaking, a non-white person.
1: So what was the purpose and the point of, of of that? I mean, okay, we understand what the function of this law uh, did. Uh, but, of course, the question would be, uh, why?
2: Well, let me go back to the law that um, I would call uh, perhaps the precursor to anti-miscegenation law. And this is a law that was um, uh, developed in colonial North America. Um, and comes out of the colony of Maryland um, in 1664. Maryland, um, the colony of Maryland, um, created a law that punished, and this is the language of the law: British and other freeborn women who married enslaved Negro men. So mm-hmm. that's the language of that law. And so this uh, law of 1664 was. Um, amended in 1681, and it was in this amendment in 1681 that we see for the very first time in the legal record a reference to a group of humanity called white people. And so, it, so anti-miscegenation law is absolutely fundamentally critical for us to understand and explore as a matter of just understanding U.S. history because mm-hmm. it has been central um, in shaping this country, literally what we look like today. Anti-miscegenation law has lasted over 300 years um, on the land that became the United States. First, first developed in 1664, modified in 1681 to then encompass white um, women um, and then it was valid law until 1967 in the famous case Loving v. Virginia. The U.S. Supreme Court reversed itself and held that under the 14th Amendment, um, it violated the Loving's fundamental rights.
1: So how has these anti-methogenation laws uh, shaped America and the generations? Because 300 years oh, – that's a long time. and 300 years, uh, the, these laws um, – if If not created, ushered in or uh, made it log- almost logically possible for chattel slavery
2: well, they played a role in that they worked to render whiteness um, something of of value they worked to give um, value to it to promote the idea of of white purity and and um also to to protect and preserve it, this idea called white purity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it was used um, anti-miscegenation law was used as a free uh, um, that men with those statuses held the same privileges and rights as a matter of law. And so that changed after Bacon's rebellion because um, the British ruling elite were extremely threatened by this, um, this rebellion, which was enormous. And so their response to it was to divide and conquer the, the laborers, to ensure that they could never be united in that way and pose such a threat to them. So it is after that rebellion in the um, 1670s that we see, the first of all, the invention of white people, in law and and this invention of white people used to divide the masses of laborers to give very different meaning to their daily lives Mm -hmm. Um, because we know that persons of African descent and persons of European descent if they again shared a status as free um, had the same rights and, and opportunities within society And after Bacon's rebellions with the imposition of white people by virtue of lots of laws, we see that that changed dramatically, that persons of African descent and members of native tribes um, formed a new bottom of society, um, and that was assigned exclusively to them. So even the most depraved white person now, um, would never be as low in society as a person of African descent or a member of a Native tribe.
1: Well, I remember reading a, you know, a great book called White Trash by Nancy Eisenberg, which she was talk about the life expectancy of a poor white. I mean, these people were really, really um, at the bottom of the, They They had no motivation, no aspiration. Uh, and the life expectancy was like
0: 35,
1: which is absolutely insane. And here you now have... Um, you know they they're, they're, they are also slaves because that was you know at the time that was tobacco was the uh, uh, you know the, the economy of the land. And so you had blacks, white uh, well I shouldn't say whites, you had uh, you had Africans and Europeans working side by side, both poor and and, and, and a slave, but then uh, I'm sure there were wealthy Africans that had white slaves and black slaves as well. And so there, there was, were, yeah. And so it was a, a you know, just a basic, uh, you know, system uh, of of this working in this new country uh, that was stolen and taken. We could talk about that. Um, so you, we're looking at something where these uh, the, the, the the men of the one percent uh, had a lot of insecurity. Based upon one how they how they uh, came to uh, to get this country, to steal this country, and the killing and the maiming that it took to, to do that, and then Bacon's Rebellion shattered their their confidence yet again. Absolutely. Uh, so so go ahead. Yeah, this is this is this is. Well, I
2: was just going to say, you know, one of the things that's also um, so important to this piece of law, or at least its invention. Of anti-miscegenation law because it seems like I use that word a lot, invention, <laughs> but it just happens mm-hmm. that um, you know most of the laws that were adopted in this country um, are are simply a replica of British common law. So anytime you see a break from that, it it tells us something really important about the needs and desires of of those who exerted power, and it, whenever it differs from British. From British mm, common, mm-hmm. law. So common law, so yeah. anti-miscegenation law was not derived from British common law. It was an, a, a body of law invented by by the British, but in the context of colonial North America. And so, when you think about some of the the pressures and opportunities um, that arose in that context probably the most important piece of, inf- of historical information is that there was roughly um, 10 to 12 men for every single woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge gender imbalance. And we also know that prior to the moment when that first law of 1664 was passed, that the, it, it was not uncommon for a British or European woman to marry um, a man of African descent, whether enslaved or free.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, when, when these white uh, British men were living in a context where there's very few women and then watching some of them um, uh, select a non-British man, particularly sure. a non-British and man They brought, of African they brought descent. women
1: over on ships because it was such a, 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 a despair, It was so disparaging. It was like, Hey, there's, there's no women here. They literally, uh, uh, Brought women from from England on ships to help populate and and, 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 and low, I guess balance out that ratio, and it still didn't work.
2: That's correct, and so they um, the uh, the emergence of anti-miscegenation law, um, it, it starts to make more sense when you when you remember that gender imbalance.
1: Well, okay, so now looking at this gender imbalance, but looking at anti-message laws, let's look at some of those laws. Now, you know, one, one of them, there was a cluster of them that came out over a period of time. We can talk about that if you should so choose to do so. But there, I remember you telling me there, you know, there were three major aspects of, of, of these laws that created uh, uh, the, what we call uh, in our community the, the Black Holocaust. Um, and that was one a person of African descent could not vote, and someone would say, okay, well, yeah, you know, okay, that's great. All uh, right, you know, all right, uh, I can't vote, so I can't really be a part of a, the, the, you know, the shaping of, 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 of policy in the country and and, and politicians. Okay, I, you, know, not, not, you know, that's really messed up, but, you know, it's not the end of the world. Then, uh, a person of African descent could not own guns or gunpowder. Oh, hell, wait a minute now. Okay. Now I am completely vulnerable. I cannot protect my family uh, or myself. Uh, and, I have, and, and, and then thirdly, as a person of African descent, I cannot sue this new designation of humanity called a white person. So now I have no legal recourse whatsoever. I can be killed, raped, maimed. My family can be killed, raped, maimed. My kids can be killed, raped, maimed. And I have no recourse whatsoever. I am uh, yep. basically – You are prohibited,
2: prohibited from hostage. testifying against right. a white person.
1: Right. I am a hostage at this point in this country uh, as so a this, as Af- person of African descent. How am I doing, Don?
2: That, you You have hit the key laws that were passed after Bacon's rebellion that were used to do exactly what the lawmakers said they intended to do, which is divide and conquer it was it's that body of law um, that guaranteed because because heres the, here's the thing that most of us have a hard time with. We have to remember that prior to the passage of those bodies of laws um, prior to that, a free man of African descent could vote and they did could own um uh, slaves from Africa or indentured servants for Europe, from Europe, and they did. They could marry a person of the opposite sex regardless of her ethnicity, and they did. So, And and they could testify against British or other Europeans, and they did. So, And they could run for public office, although I can't find in the historical record one who did that, but we know mm-hmm. as a matter of law, they certainly could. Mm-hmm. So when you're we have to understand the emergence of these laws within that context because most of us in our K-12 through 12, um, learnings of U.S. history have no clue that, 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 that colonial society uh, on the land that became the United States ever had that shape to it, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: a shape where free men of African descent had the same privileges and rights as a matter of law as a British man did. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So the, the body of laws that you referenced right now um, ensured that that social structure, um, the one of relative equality by virtue of class standing for a person of African descent or European descent, would never exist again.
1: That is, you know, when you hear it, being on the other side of that history where we are now uh, in the world, it's almost like a, uh, a novel, you know, uh, or something. It's like, that, that could never happen, that, that nobody, you know, humans don't do that to each other. Um, right. Yeah, uh, so, so when you think of this insidious, it's like, it, it, you know, it's like these laws were, were designed uh, for, uh, based on psychopathy. It's like, okay, here's a psychopathic group of 1% men who um, regardless of of human life, humanity, we are going to make sure and ensure that we are protected uh, and our wealth is protected and our status is protected and that we have access to all of the things that we want, which are the women and the wealth. And we, we, you know, hey, we had to to come here and uh, rape and pillage and steal the country from the people that were already here anyway so you know we, we, we we've gotten pretty good at this kind of thing. Uh, so who you know who, who cares who who you know this is the way it's going to be. Then one would say, well, okay, how in the hell do you implement something like this? Because for however long um, uh, these colonies were in place prior to uh, these anti-miscegenation laws, sixteen eighty one. Everybody was equal. The next so so now Monday right within within
2: classes
1: yeah within classes now Monday you go to work yeah yeah class is now Monday you go to work and everything is different. Well that's right. How do you institute? How do you institute
2: that? Absolutely. Well, that's a great question, and and we know that for for most people they they learned the message of these new laws by virtue of the. The structure, in, the new structure imposed on their work site, which for most people was agricultural or, uh, and specifically uh, plantation, tobacco plantation in this case. Mm-hmm. So the new structure of the plantation uh, reflected the new laws. So that's number one. That's how the vast majority of people learned that the, learned the new social order. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. But just in case. Someone didn't get it um, via that or some other means. These laws, this body of law passed after Bacon's Rebellion, was required to be read two times a year at church on Sunday in the courthouse steps.
1: Mm. Twice a year on the church, church house steps. So I no, no, at, re-
2: at church, both at church and the courthouse steps. The so court two times a year, it, it occurred both. at both places, yes. It was required what? by law. There's a specific law that requires that. So what what
1: were the, okay. So what were the penalties of breaking these anti nation laws? Obviously, you had people who were in love. Obviously, you had people who uh, were in business together. Um, when you what happened when you broke this law of anti nation? What was the penalty to this new designation of white people?
2: Right. Well, this first law of 1664 that um, punished freeborn British women who who married an enslaved Negro man, this was the punishment. She was enslaved for the duration of her husband's life. Any children that they have were enslaved into their 20s. So you can imagine, and, and I should say this as well, that in the explanation for that Maryland Law of 1664, the lawmakers expressed that the purpose for um, enacting this law was to, um, quote, discourage these shameful matches, unquote. And they also reveal in their explanation for the law that um, it said a couple things that are really important. One is that they viewed these women as forgetful of their rightful status. As British and as deserving of rights and freedoms, from which others can be denied. Oh. So you, a lot is revealed um, in their explanation for this law. We don't want to blame. But what but happened?
1: I mean, damn it! It looks like the British is a, yet again the culprit.
2: Yeah, but but again, the British in the context of colonial North America, because the British outside of that context found many of the things done in the context of colonial North America really, frankly, bizarre to them. Like, Mm -hmm. like when, when we, when lawmakers in this nation, um, the British lawmakers here began to divide people by the color of their skin. um, That was completely foreign to the British in, um, in the mainland. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So very much it, it, we always have to remember it's, I, I caution people about blaming the damn British um, and we can blame the damn British, but it is the damn British in the context of, of um, colonial North America. Yeah, so a couple of those things to say. Blame the damn British. No, i <laughs> So, uh, well, ultimately, the damn British um, gave their stamp of approval. So so I guess yeah, maybe that's you're compli- okay. <laughs> you're,
1: you're complicit in yeah. this. I mean, it's like, come on, you know, let's not uh, yeah. miss words here. But okay, right. so, go, so go ahead, Doc.
2: Well, so so here's – it, you Think about that punishment, and that women, um, European women, continued, even despite those consequences, to engage in these marriages. Uh-huh. And furthermore, um, even though the, the lawmaker said the reason for the law was to discourage these marriages, imagine that you are a large landholder in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Do you – What are the consequences of of having such a marriage occur between one of your indentured servants, let's say, and an enslaved man of African descent? Mm -hmm,
1: mm
2: -hmm. Well, it seems only a good thing for you, right? Your property value goes up. Absolutely. Yeah, you've just acquired a new enslaved person, this one of British descent or European Mm -hmm. descent, Mm -hmm. and any children that they have, you know, hey, your economic wealth just went up and up. So. What in fact happened after the law of 1664 was that these um, marriages were encouraged, not discouraged. And so it wasn't until 1681 that the Maryland lawmakers sought to amend the law. And this time they were more effective um, in light of their expressed purpose for the original law of 1664, which is to deter the marriages. This time they imposed a penalty upon anyone who performs the marriage of uh, whether a religious person or um, actor of the colony, and so um, that one was far more successful in deterring them, and it also punished um, anybody who could be shown to have encouraged the marriage so so these so insecure to... men of the one percent um, were
1: were threatened. Uh, at two levels, basically. And that was at the wealth level with Baker's Rebellion. But they were also threatened uh, at, uh, a level, at a sexual level. Masculinity, absolutely. masculinity level. So those were the two drivers. Well, wow. And you know, we're talking about emotional quotient and, and emotional intelligence. Um, wow. We're, we're talking about um, a psychopathic, uh, 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 insecure group of people, group of men. Who, when you look at these laws, um, and you see how they manifest today, uh, you can now now as a result of understanding anti-methylation, you can see the cause and effect. I think what we've been doing is looking at all the effects of the effects, and not looking at the, at the cause, <laughs> right? So it's like, how do you you, you can't you can't do that because that's, you're, you're spinning your wheels. It's like, well, we need to march. Well, march for what? Because it's like you're. You're, you're, you're not changing laws. You're not addressing what the country was founded on. And and, the, right. and, 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 and mind you, the, the anti-miscegenation laws or miscegenation laws, these were laws that were in place before the first meeting of Congress and before the Constitution was was uh, written. Exactly right. So, you know, wow, what proceeds most people don't even have a concept – of 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 what happened before the constitution they're just fighting for the constitution well what fuel and influence and what was in place prior to the constitution these laws
2: that's exactly right well and so look so when when we consider um a a couple things first of all we know that upon um landing on the shores of north america that europeans had no issues with slaughtering, enslaving tribal people, Mm -hmm. Uh, no issue whatsoever, stealing their land, stealing their resources, and so that certainly didn't stop, so we have that as a backdrop, then we have from the uh, roughly 1614 until the last two decades of the 17th century, so throughout most of the 1600s, there was a context In the British colonies of persons of African descent who were free and persons of British descent who were free, free of indenture in the former, free of enslavement in the latter, uh, who had the same rights and privileges as a matter of law. So we have these two things um, going to hold up at the same time as we understand this history. And we also have this amazing gender imbalance at the time. And so when you fold all these together and the threat of, that Bacon's rebellion posed, we see that, um, that the laws that reshuffled that second layer, the, the colonial society that concerned freedmen of African or European descent, mm-hmm. the, the body of laws enacted after Bacon's rebellion completely tra- reshuffled that. And so now we have a new much lower bottom to society – and persons of African descent and tribal people tossed um, to that location. But let's look at the role of anti-miscegenation law in that process. Um, Because I think this is um, particularly important. Part of what, um, when when I'm teaching about those, uh, the package of laws that were passed after Bacon's Rebellion, that worked to reshape colonial society, one of the things students often wanna do is view anti-miscegenation law um, as, as something that was prohibiting white people mm. because it did make it punished mm. white people mm-hmm. who engaged in these marriages, especially when you read just the law on its face. But here's what we know. And we know this largely from um, studies during the antebellum period of court records and diaries Um, uh, Laura Edwards. Uh, these are all historians: Laura Edwards, Cynthia Bynum, um, Peter Bardaglio. Um, their research, all I, I believe, all three um, have written a book, uh, se- separately written books. These scholars reveal to us in their research that. Anti-miscegenation law, even though on its face when you just read the law itself, um, it looks like it is a prohibition on both white men and white women and, of course, upon non-white women and non-white men who want to marry white people. Mm-hmm. But when you fold in enforcement practices, that's that's not at all um, how this law works. When you fold in enforcement practices, what we see is that the there were plenty of examples of white men who were violating anti-miscegenation law. Mm-hmm. However, so the question becomes, well, why weren't they brought to trial and prosecuted under anti-miscegenation mm-hmm. law like, like any white woman and non-white man who violated the law were? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's what we find in the record is it this law was almost exclusively enforced against white women and non-white men um, and very rarely was it enforced against white men and their non-white partner who violated the law? Wow. Yeah. Absolutely so we see. So so here. So here's the core of that then. So then the purpose of anti-miscegenation law was not only to make white women exclusively available to white men, but also in, in practice to make all women available to white men.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. And so we see that that um, this law, this anti-miscegenation law, worked to centralize patriarchal power among and within white men. And as Absolutely. further evidence of that fact, we can return to one of the laws that you referenced that was passed in that bundle of laws after Bacon's Rebellion that made it – that prohibited – Free black men from being in, in possession of a gun or powder and when you think about that law um, you know I think your response was my God <laughs> I'm a th- you know everything a, a threat I can't protect my my spouse my children myself um, and mm-hmm. and that's exactly the case that law worked um, to to strip black men of patriarchal power because Patriarchal power is derived from the law of coverture, and the law of coverture um, provides that in marriage, the man and the woman become one, and as a matter of law, the one is the man. And, and in exchange for that trade, a woman handing over quite literally her legal standing, women were prohibited from, from having a claim to their own income. Mm-hmm. They couldn't um, pursue a claim in a court of law. They couldn't um, create their own trust or will, so quite literally, a woman had zero legal standing. Now, the trade-off was that in exchange, um, she was to be provided and protected. So that's the law. That's sort of the arrangement of the law of coverture, mm-hmm. um, and and out of which patriarchal power is derived. And so when when free black men were deprived of the ability to be in possession of a gun or powder. Um, they were essentially stripped of their ability um, to obtain patriarchal power because they were not in a position to do what was required in that exchange to, to protect and provide.
1: Absolutely amazing! Uh, uh, how heinous this uh, is! Uh, because this is why, when we look at uh, you know the slavery narrative in time. Uh, you strip a man from being a man because guns and gunpowder based upon how this country was taken, um, is really the, I mean, it, it was almost like, you know, a, a fingerprint. You had to have uh, gunpowder and firearms. And isn't it interesting that, you know, uh, uh now white America is so afraid of, you know, of, of having their guns taken away, uh, or, or even just a modification of the law, uh, because, <laughs> You know, when you take that away from a from a from a from a man, he becomes a. You know, you you can see the language too in in slavery. He becomes a boy. He's a child. He becomes. You know, he he's treated like a child uh, because he can't. He protect needs himself.
2: protected. Yeah. He needs right. He needs, right, protect he needs protection. That's yeah.
1: right. and so so we, we can see how. Uh, and, and 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 mind you, now this is these laws once they were instituted. uh, it took generations uh, of, of social evolution and socializing uh, for each generation to, to be born into these established laws that ushered in shadow slavery, that then ushered in uh, this false sense uh, of, of success and privilege called whiteness that we're still dealing with today.
2: Uh, absolutely i mean here here's a few more just um, historical things to throw out there, and that is that every moment in u s history when um, the the invented white people face a uh, a threat to them, i should say um, of of potential equality with persons of african descent uh, it is those historical moments when you see a significant um, upturn in the passage of anti-miscegenation laws. So after the Civil War um, passing anti-miscegenation laws, um, there was a huge burst in states passing these laws, um, just as an, as an example. And furthermore, during the um, civil rights era in the 50s and 60s, public opinion revealed that for persons of African descent, um, changing anti-miscegenation law was like one of the lowest things on their list of things mm. they cared about. Because of course, top the, the, the top things were just basic safety and security uh, and access to employment. So, so people could make their way in the world. Those were uh, among the top for persons of African descent, but for persons of European descent, anti-miscegenation, um, enforcing and preserving anti-miscegenation law was uh, number
1: one. You know, here's the thing, uh, Dr. Battalore, that uh, your work has has revealed, and, and and not just your work, but there's other, you know, I think it uh, is it Edgar Morgan and and uh, um, uh, what's his name, Allen, Theodore the people, Allen, yes, Theodore Allen. Um, however, your 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 particular work, uh, because you know, Allen and 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 Morgan, there were certain aspects that were missed and the dots didn't, all, uh, didn't automatically connect as it does with the work that you have done. And I remember you telling me the story when you said, hey, what did all the white people do? Uh, we'll tell that story <laughs> in another show uh, of, of how you came about this information. But, you know, what, what's fascinating about this is there's no, you, you know, when we look at the children, teaching children uh, about American history. Uh, what what we're looking at is there is no happy ending. There is no "quote unquote" good America, uh, and and I think that terrorizes, terrifies um, uh, white people, white parents, um, to have their children learn the truth about um, th- this 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 humanity, this, this, this uh, naming of humanity that they're part of. What does it mean to be white? This is what it means to be white. This is what your ancestors did.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not a good look. It's not a good, um, uh, there, there's no place in any of this story of this history where you get to feel good. So here's the interesting part. The brain uh, is constantly trying to set a moral compass. Uh, when it can't set a moral compass, it has what's known as cognitive dissonance. That's exactly right. And so as a result of that, you have to now justify why you are um, treating another human being in this fashion or why you are engaging in this behavior, why you are watching this behavior, why why are you complicit in this behavior, and so you have to set up a series, not just of laws, but you have to set up a series of systems and subsystems in order to qualify and quantify this cognitive dissonance. And you even fundamental,
2: yeah. mm-hmm. go ahead. And go fundamental ahead. and fundamental ideas, right? Because yeah. look at the cognitive dissonance um, as it played out with regard to um, Europeans in their treatment of tribal people. Like what? What was it? It had to be rationalized, right? Because I'm a good person. Europeans um, perceived of of themselves as as good, um, good Christians specifically. Um, so, do good Christians um, move into um, a new land and rape and pillage and take resources? Well, no. But if I view those people as savages and and um, in desperate need of Christianity, I'm actually saving them by being here mm-hmm. and stealing their land, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, those are the, the stories, the way in which cognitive dissonance has has manifested um, on the part of Europeans since arriving in, in North America. And so for, for persons of African descent, that emerged soon after the invention of white people when you see um, even built into that package of laws that you cited messages about persons of African descent and messages about this new group of people called white people. Mm-hmm. And, and what those laws make clear is that persons of African descent are a threat um, not to be trusted with any sort of weaponry um, are, are less than um, uh, other other citizens or citizens to be. Um, and conversely, the message is that white people, no matter how they behave, right, because it's just about whiteness, um, that anybody who's white um, is deserving of rights and privileges from which others can be denied, i.e., superior. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So we see how that, that way, yeah, the, the way place. in which the mm-hmm. British conceived of themselves just lent itself. Tragically, beautifully into um, white supremacy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think well, I think that's uh, uh, the, the the calling uh, uh, card there. I think the, the curtains are supposed to close on that one. That's enough for people to absorb and and to and to get. And I'm sure, as I have, there are many people who will be listening to this that will have so many aha moments because. There's so many dots that needed to be connected. And what I love about the work that you've done and the, and the, and the history that you have uncovered it, and in the manner in which you have uncovered it is that it does, it connects the dots. It's like, oh, that, that's how that happened. Because there's so many things that are disconnected, doesn't make sense, that we just wake up. Because we're, we're all, you know, it's kind of like uh, Debbie Irving, we're all waking up white. The moment that that's we're born, right. we're waking up white all, you know, in, in, in this country. And so we just assume uh, that these things are normal, and they're not. But then we don't know the questions to ask, or we don't know where to begin to look for the answers. Uh, and so we just accept it as it is. And then, again, we start trying to fight an effect with another effect. Hmm. Well, and we never get I, to the call. if
2: I may say one thing before the end of your show, it would be that it is – precisely um, shows like yours, Philippe Matthews, that offers um, large numbers of people the opportunity to wake up.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. That's what we see. Thank you for that. Well, obviously, this is going to be an ongoing series, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Jacqueline Abadalora, uh, Birth of the White Nation is the book. Uh, and uh, I, I also would like to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you could, uh, uh, for me, Go to uh go to uh, uh, dot com. Or is it BattleLora.com? dot uh, com?
2: are you doing a free e course?
1: Yes, the free
2: e course. Okay. It's um Batalora, Battalora
1: B A T T A L O R A free eCourse dot com. free e course dot com. There is a five day e course in there that's free, that uh, really d- digs deep and gives you an understanding that, you know, so say, say, hey, I want to be able to explain this to my kids. I want to take this back to the diversity section of my, of my, of my company, uh, I, you know, I want to talk about this with a coworker, I want to talk to the, about, about this, uh, you know, to, to some friends and family, or whenever the race thing comes up, I want to be able to speak intelligently Uh, about that and and, and to be able to explain why we are the way we are and how we got here. This e-course gives you you that language, gives you that context. Uh, And uh, at the end of that five-day e-course, you receive uh, an email where you have the opportunity, uh, which is a limited opportunity, but you have the opportunity for only $1 to receive a 47-minute uh, a PowerPoint presentation and lecture uh, on everything, uh, birth of a white nation, everything, invention of white people, and how all of this began, how this began, where it began, where we are today. You can, and it's only for one dollar. So this is something that you just have to do if you're truly serious about learning your history, knowing your history and knowing American history, go to battleauracom forward slash free course. Free e-course or free course?
2: It's battleaura, B as in boy, A-T-T-A-L-O-R-A, free e-course.com.
1: Free e-course, Batalora, free e-course.com. I appreciate you, Doctor. Correct. Thank you so much.
2: Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks to your listeners.
1: All right, we'll see you guys next time. Well, We want to see you on this show because this is all radio. We'll we'll hear you again uh, next time on the Fleet Matthews Radio Show. Take care, everybody.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?